Good morning, gamers. <laughs> Welcome, Red Morning. Let's have a little bit of light in here. Welcome, everybody's listening to this on Spotify, iTunes, what have you. Enjoy yourself a nice Saturday morning. I did this episode quiet because it's going to be boring and it's going to be about. I haven't decided yet either on dread or about. Oh, about how good coffee is. But either about the misinformation of dread or the women are wonderful effect. I figure we got time to talk about both. See Ivar in the chat. Welcome, buddy. First things first. You know what? I'm going to lean into the women are wonderful effect because that's kind of the key to it. So this all started. Um, Dr. Sean Smith, friend of mine, we talk a bunch. He's one of those guys who... He would love, he likes the idea of red pilled guys getting together and swapping notes. He understands the failure of the medical practice to take into account any problems of men. And so he's trying to find a way to fit that within his practice. But one of the things that I love about him is that he needs rigor. Guys just swapping notes in the locker room is not good enough for a clinical psychologist. And kudos to him for that. I see Red Crusader, Balthazar, and Matt in the chat. How's it going, brothers? So he's one of those guys that holds me to task. And the reason I thought Dread would be a good episode here was because he had basically listened to two random people who really didn't know much about Dread at all. I'd call them out right now, but it's whatever. One guy, I don't mind him so much. The other one, I don't want to give her any clout. But in wanting to correct the information, because, I mean, you can like Dread, you can not like Dread as a concept, but... The one thing I don't want you to do is misinterpret it when you're hating it. Jeez, this thing filled up quick. I see Matt. Don't be soy. <laughs> that doctor Twitter spat. It wasn't even a spat. Here's the thing. That's kind of what it's supposed to be. Guys are supposed to disagree on stuff vehemently. And eventually through guys running it through their own field reports or uh, swapping notes between them, you kind of figure things out. Problem is, we become so inundated with outrage culture, it's impossible to tell the difference between that and some goofball who's arguing for clout. I see Jack in the chat. You just got off of your live stream two hours ago. Holy crap, buddy. Um, yeah, and so I was going through, looking through Dread. I'm like, all right, if I'm going to correct this, and he's doing good faith stuff, I like that. So let's get into the books and make sure I can like cite some references. So I look through. And something I noticed, which is hilarious, is that our stuff is really out of date. And so I thought, why not take a two-hour podcast <laughs> and talk about dread? But at the same time, um, Harvey Weinstein's trial, and there's a bunch of details coming out in that, and we thought for Rule Zero, which is going to be here, by the way, we're going to be talking about that in the context of the Women Are Wonderful effect, the changing laws really got some changes going down now it's more so in the states than canada but uh yeah so between these two things we're like oh this is a great amount of stuff we can talk about while guys are working out sunday morning enjoying their morning coffee getting unhung over after friday nights why not <laughs> why let's talk about the fun stuff let's not talk about minecraft for once <laughs> um yeah so jd's asking if there's any gossip it's no gossip it's just like i said two people disagreeing on a concept and me realizing that as red-pilled content creators, we've really not done people a service by keeping stuff up to date. Um, the history of Dread 
isn't even a red pilled one. It actually came from uh, certain other places like Cosmopolitan magazines, uh, Dead Bedroom subreddit, relationships, all those very places that you would consider blue pilled. And what had happened is there was stories of guys who were so sexually frustrated with their marriages for so long, they eventually just checked out. They're like, you know what? Screw it. I'm done. The kid's two years from graduation. I'm out of here. And they essentially treated their relationship as it was over and their wife was dead. And they had a roommate in the house to help take care of the kids. And then they went and started living their life. It was an amazing thing. And then through, after like the first three or four reports on this stuff, guys started to notice that uh, once they fully checked out, maybe six months later, that all of a sudden wives were becoming more affectionate to them and they were confused. They're like, what the hell? Like, I finally stopped caring about you and you care about me. And it was very confusing. Some guys took it to mean like, you've hurt me. I need some time to heal. Some guys took it as in a, you're too late for this. You just had to do this 10 years ago and we wouldn't have been in this situation. I remember there was a, uh... so I found the one on my private Patreon cast, by the way, if you're not on it right now, patreon.com slash join underscore Ryan underscore stone. But one of the guys sent me actually found the original field report from uh, Dread Concept, which was hilarious. It's like years old. Anyway, so typical of nerds who came from like a pickup background was they took it and they're like, all right, so there's something here. They analyzed it. Uh, typical nerds do systemized it and saw what were the commonalities. And then those commonalities were condensed into what was known as Dread. Um the main guy to do this work was a guy who goes by the pen name Blue Pill Professor. Now, the Blue Pill Professor, he came from a legal background. Like he was a lawyer, a practicing lawyer, and he had eventually switched over, gotten his marriage uh, certificate, or uh, one for marriage counseling anyway, the one where we tried everything, but it didn't work, those kind of things. From that, he had to do a lot of uh, work in the courts, having to... Uh, stand as witness to all kinds of things. And thank you very much, Jack. Link in the Patreon there. Now, the funny thing was he put it into like 12 steps. I don't, there's not really a reason for it to be 12 steps other than like it's closer to 10, nine or 10, but it fits in well with that 12 step program, Alcoholics Anonymous thing. So for the sake of completeness, we talk about 12. And after a while, other people started using it. There was a guy I reference a lot. He goes by the pen name Ultimate Cad. He had the same situation. His girl basically snuck around behind his back, had a at least a date. He doesn't even know for sure, but she definitely had a date with a dude she used to be, uh, she used to date. And then when he asked about it, she lied to him. So at that point, he realized like, you know, enough is enough. And he went through dread on his own. It worked out amazing, and it was good because there's edge cases at the very end where you essentially just open up one-sided, open up the marriage, which he did, and it works. It was this crazy mix of the perfect level of dysfunction. But enough of that. I was going to talk about the steps. Um, so Hunter's in the chat here saying women are pro at dread. So here's something to, to realize. Men and women aren't the same, and they respond to dread in different ways. Actually, first, let's define terms. Dread. So there's a lot of definitions of dread, and they all are old. Not all, but most of the ones that people comment on now, the ones that have gotten the most traction are old ones. That's the idea that um, 
you run a couple manipulative tricks and then your wife starts having sex with you again. It's absolutely ridiculous. It doesn't jive with anything, let alone frame, let alone the fact that you cannot manipulate people that directly. Like I can't, and there is no good strategy to sniper game. It's been, I don't know, 20, 30 years. Everybody has known you can't win that girl. You can just win more girls. And then through that abundance, choose stuff that's best for your Um, have not watched it yet to answer that question, by the way. So then step one is frame. Now here's why any of that, like this will win your wife back stuff is completely bunk. If frame is the first step of a roadmap, you cannot, you cannot explain these things as a mechanism to win somebody's affections. Cause it's just, that's not your frame. That's her frame. So right there, the definition is already failed muster. I find a better way to articulate it that's way more robust and way more accurate, especially the way it's been practiced in the field, is dread. The use case is a guy in a sexually unfulfilling relationship. That means people aren't having sex in a marriage or in a relationship. Now, if it's just a plate or it's just a girlfriend, the obvious advice is just to leave. Hard next. If uh, you're this early into a relationship and it's not working for you, just leave. Whatever. Problem comes when guys start, you know, you buy a house with a girl, you have kids with a girl, you have a marriage. There becomes, there's a lot more legal and financial barriers in the way. So you can't just walk away. I mean, you can, but there's obviously supposed to be a better strategy to it. So that's where this strategy was, de was developed. Now, it's not because your wife disrespects you. It's not because... Um, she cut her hair short and you want to get revenge on her. It's strictly about celibacy, sexual celibacy within a marriage. <laughs> you guys are in here talking about Corona. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's a deliberate set of steps to give yourself enough options to leave a sexually unfulfilling relationship and then immediately move into one or multiple ones or none at all. At the same time, and it, it borrows heavily from the idea of a branch swing. If you guys don't know this term, that's the one where a wife has checked out of the marriage six to 12 months before she even tries to divorce. She starts getting into better shape. She starts buying sexy clothes. She starts posting more, you know, thought pictures on Instagram. So then by the time she's got other boys lined up or other guys lined up, that's when she drops the divorce papers. The idea is it's like a monkey never lets go of the branch he's holding on to until he grabs another one. So what's good for the goose is good for the gander. Now, the difference, and if you remember, I said earlier, men and women aren't the same. The difference is guys are aspirational lovers. So for our branch swing, I call it the olive branch. The idea is while you're detaching yourself from this relationship and getting yourself ready for the next one, she has that window of time in order to show that she's still invested in the marriage or the relationship. And if you get to that point where she does do this, you get to make that decision whether you want to go back to things or not. And that's, some guys don't. Some guys, it's too far gone. Some guys are like, oh, that's great. Um, usually this manifests as another concept, which is called a main event. So if you think about these things as a power struggle, and for most relationships, the the sexually celibate husbands are basically losing it. I don't know what to call the wife. I don't want to call her like a harpy or anything like that. Nothing so shrill. She's just not feeling it. And it's um 
the main event is essentially the point where she goes and the the power dynamic shifts. So you have a wife who thinks of you as that uh, loser, sexually unattractive guy. She just feels awkward even trying to get uh, sexual with, like roommates. And then the power dynamic switched to where she realizes that you're a prize, you're hypergamous best option, and she does not know how to keep you. So it's like a comfort test amped up. I always talk if uh, if you aren't seeing snot bubbles, then it's not a main event. Now, that's usually the point where you realize whether you want to go back to the relationship and that dread has run its course. You've decided that this one, you still want to stick with this one um, or not. That usually comes with another concept, which is very, very scantily uh, documented. And it's really on me because it kind of became a thing back when I was running my map and we had like five, six, seven guys talking about it. It's called the come to Jesus speech. You do it after a main event. And that's because women in a main event start using direct communication. Women only use that when they're desperate. They always hate overt communication. So once you're getting it, you realize it's time to essentially show her or talk to her through as few words as possible what it takes to keep you engaged in the relationship. Um, I'll use an example from my main event. It was very simple. I was about to leave the military. I was pretty much on par to completely get rid of my life in there. And so I told her, it's like, look, I've had the last 12 years of people telling me what to do and it hasn't worked out well for me. I'm going to be selfish and you can come and join me for the ride if you want to, but I'm telling you right now, it's going to be awesome. And it was awesome. And she made me an awesome Mexican breakfast the next morning, a bunch of crying. And then uh, here we are today. Now, it's obviously a little more complex than that, but somewhere I got it. I know in my first speech on uh, that Central Florida convention I shan't, talk about i talked about it a little bit there too but red crusader's got a good point so if you guys have actually had to use dread throw some things in the chat it'd be nice for other people to read what other people's experiences are while i'm talking about mine and the other guys that i've worked with or yeah worked with i guess peers um so first step of dread is frame you need a frame when Guys talk about frame. It's a very difficult concept to codify. Frame, depending on how you look at it. Now, Rolo has this great definition that he took from Mystery, I believe, who talked about uh, who frames the engagement, who sets the tone, that sort of thing. And that's good, but it it runs deeper than that. Um, so it, when I talked before about narcissism, how it's kind of the the male behavior, Dialing it into a healthy level, which is, you know, not that third standard deviation known as antisocial or narcissistic personality disorder, but a more healthy level. Let's say if it's a one out of 10 thing, like, or first or second standard deviation, you're not the norm, you're not extreme, but you're definitely up there. Think of that being like, and there's an easy explanation for that. If you don't think you're the prize or you have any self grandiosity, then why is anybody else going to? Your level of your level of self-assessment is always going to be the highest out of you and everybody you know. So by you setting yours lower from a narcissistic standpoint, you're essentially telling everybody else to devalue you more than that. So there's that aspect to it. There's also the reality aspect to it. Now, most things in life are social, and social things are very 
multivariable. Let me steal some Jordan Peterson terms. They're multivariable. They're very complex. A lot of times people don't know how to process it and there is no objective process because one person's perspective is different than another person's perspective. And this is where narratives come into play. Frame is about setting the narrative. I'm going to put a pin in that quickly and thank Renegade Show for the $5 super chat where he says here, Oren Claff has a book called Pitch Anything That Goes Deep Into What a Frame Is. Highly recommended, although it's a business book. Yeah, business, there's a lot of overlap in this stuff between business, anything to do with human interaction, because it's essentially the human condition applied to relationships. So bang on, it's a good read. I've skimmed it. I haven't finished it yet, but I've got such a giant reading list and I still haven't even done Alpha God that Rolo said, but... Uh, yeah, so it's that the thing, the narratives, the frames. So you frame things in a certain way. And then the way you frame it, you're so self-assured about it and confident. And that's where that whole confidence thing comes in. The point of confidence is not some kind of uh, magic pill that, oh, he's confident. I love that guy. No, confident people will set the narratives. So between those two concepts, you have something where it's more of a uh, socially adept way of saying my way or the highway. And being charismatic, being attractive, being somebody's best option, they're invested in your frame. Final way I like to say it, a very simple way is, if your life story was a book, who's the main character? It sounds silly, but it's amazing how many guys you will ask about their relationship problems, and they do it in a series of she statements. Oh, she's bad this, she did this, she did that, she did this. Not once do they mention anything from the first person. So this is important. Yeah, as Julia says, be confident, bro, which is true. But confidence is confidence is the is one of the many tools you need to achieve this result. You have to take it a little bit farther into that narcissism territory. But and again, if you dial it in properly and do what we call calibrate, you're able to get that aspect. And it's dark triad, if you've not mistaken that, too. That's the mixture of psychopathy, Machiavellianism and uh, narcissism. So you're dialing these into healthy levels to the point where you're not like a serial killer, but you take just enough of that. So that's frame. So that's the first thing you get in there. Actually, you know what? I'm going to pull this up because I always get three and four mixed up. I want to make sure I get this accurate. What is dread or why nobody has any frame? So that's step one. Now, there's another rule in these marriages where a lot of guys, they go too fast, too hard, with no calibration whatsoever. We call that going Rambo. The reason why these steps have to take time, and the rule of thumb is a year. One month per step, or one month per year that you've been in your relationship for. The reason for this is a guy called uh, Alpha as Wolf, or I am Steve McQueen. These two guys are great examples of it. So Alpha as Wolf, he just did. If everybody said, okay, there's... 18 tools you can use. He would use all of them, not think about it, not realize that some are situational, some are contextual. And another one of our uh, old old guys, Jack Tenna Hearts, his pen name Jack Tenna Hearts went and he said, this is like you wanting to drive to the store. So you get in a car, you start uh, tapping all the pedals, hitting all the light switches, locking the doors, unlocking them, shifting the gear five times, and then wondering why you're not at the store. Like everything has a purpose and you're just using it haphazardly. 
So by taking it slow and going methodically, you get guys who are better able to calibrate and not to rush through it so much. So you take your first month, you just build that, and they talk about passing fitness tests and comfort tests. You got to learn what the differences are. Um, if you don't know what those definitions are, I think I've got them in my video backlog. If not, I'll be adding them in the future. For the sake of brevity, though, we're going to skip by that. Funny thing, though, is as you go through all the steps, there's always one cognizant thing where you're always seducing your wife. The idea is if your goal is sexual fulfillment, then part of that needs to be actually, you know, initiating. Every step always has initiation in there. So then you've kind of gotten into it. You're starting to build a frame. You're understanding what comfort tests are. You're understanding what fitness tests are. You're understanding what disrespect is. That's when you skip to dread level two. Dread level two is where you build an action plan to improve the major areas of your life. Um, be attractive. Don't be unattractive. This is focusing on the be attractive stuff. This is where having a good weightlifting program comes in, a good diet comes in. They add spiritual and psychological in there. I've really not found much use for the spiritual, but a lot of guys seem to love talking about chakras and sun tanning your, your butthole. So whatever. Uh, financial areas as well. It's obvious that a lot of relationships have issues because of financial situations. So if you're not making very good money or you're making so much money that you can't even spend it, but you're spending 90 hours a week at work, you kind of dial these things in. It's a concept called quality of life. The workouts, this is, and this is the thing, there is no single standard. People say lift bro, but that's a horrible way to phrase it. <laughs> Where is author Schopenhauer? He's been so busy with work. He's barely ever on. He has like an hour a week for uh, Twitter or even talking to us. So don't worry. We'll be getting Carl back when we can. But typical, typical guy, red pilled, actually solving the problems in his life has no time to talk to nerds on the internet. God bless him. Um. Oh, yeah. So lifting. Here's the thing. Everybody says to lift and there's multiple reasons and multiple different ways to lift. And you have to be, you can't just say lift bro and expect to be done with it because let's take, for example, if you start posting into any one of the multiple locker room spaces that we have for guys to swap notes, a lot of people are just ask holes. They ask for advice. They don't follow it. Things happen that were predictably going to happen. And they ask for more advice. They just get that catharsis out of like talking through their problems. These guys waste your time. They waste your time. They're very frustrating. They're very, very frustrating. And so lifting in this case is a litmus test. If a guy isn't willing to put in and the bare minimum of effort, like what, 40 bucks a month for a gym membership, three hours a week, three times a week, half an hour, you know, any bare minimum of effort, it just shows the guy is more invested in his success than he wants you to be. So in that case, lifting is good because people tend to take you seriously. Whether you're lifting well, lifting not well, doesn't matter. You're showing up, that's good enough for start. If you're a guy who's never lifted before, then you walking in with some bodybuilder program is going to kill you. So that's why you suggest something very simple like strong lifts five by five. It's the simplest bare bones program. It builds a base layer of strength it's completely impossible to screw up. So you got that. Then you got guys who maybe have lifted before, but have gained a bunch of weight or guys that, you know, are fairly fit, but they're endurance runners and that, and they realize you need to get muscular because, you know, be attractive. And that's having some lean mass and not very much and lean, 
or not very much, very fat. So the lifting for both of those guys changes too. So lifting, it's like a whole topic in and of itself. Same thing as finances, learning to negotiate better salaries, get your resume out. You're basically putting effort into your life with the idea that, you know, once you're leaving the girl that you're with now, that's not sexually fulfilling, you're probably going to get taken for a ride in the divorce court. So just make sure financially you're on your best footing. Then you move on to dread level three. So you're working on your frame. You're learning about comfort tests. You're learning about disrespect. You're looking about fitness tests. You probably are mistaking a lot of those by now, especially with the gym stuff, but that's fine. That's why you're practicing. Then you get to level three. And this is where you start to build a life outside of your wife. This is where um, I've talked about it before. The gym bag routine comes in. So you obviously want to sleep with your wife. That's fine. <laughs> Nobody can fault you for that errant assumption. Um, da -da. Planet Fitness is only $10 a month. Jeez, I might just grab an extra membership so I have something to do when I go to the train station. Um, yeah, the gym bag routine was easy. So if you wanted to, you set aside a time because, actually, you know what, let's back it up. So here's the use case. Most guys are horrible at trying to sleep with their wife. They wait until like evenings when it's time to go to bed, like 10 o'clock. If you're in bed by 11, you watch whatever you're watching on TV for that last half hour. And then you finally make your move just as you're about to go to sleep. You get shut down and then guys end up sulking about it. Like, oh, that sucks. Why do you never put out? And then you sit there stewing on it. You can't sleep. I made a joke about how what a lot of guys do then is sneak off to go to the bathroom and uh, but do it real quietly so you don't wake up the wife. It was like just a horrible, horrible situation. So I'm like, all right. If you don't know how to initiate, pick a time earlier in the day. Guys with kids, you pick it when, you know, kids are still at school. You got half an hour or when they go to bed before you do. Whatever the time is. Let's say it's six o'clock. Pulling that number out of my ass. Six o'clock. And what you do is you prepare your bag for the gym. You put your clothes in there. You put your lifting straps, whatever you're going to take to the gym. Put it in the bag. Put it at the door. You go and initiate. And then when you get shot down, I always assume when, when you get shot down, you're not butthurt about it. You're not sulking about it. And you actually have something better to do with your time. And so you grab your bag. You're like, all right, it's fine. I'm going to go to the gym anyway. Two things you're accomplishing with this. And this is part of dread level three. You're uh, actually dread level four sort of, but you're building a life apart from your wife. You're joining an MMA gym. You're taking up a cause, a discipline. You're doing things. It sometimes it doesn't even matter if it's important. So and I don't, I hope he doesn't mind me saying this, but Boogie D6, he was the guy that started his map like a week after or before I started mine. His was, he just wanted to get caught up on the reading, reading Rational Mail, Book of Pook, all the Athel K, all the guys. He would literally just drive his truck into a Walmart parking lot, throw a candle up on his uh, dashboard and just read in his truck by himself. Just be gone for an hour because he just needed somewhere else because he couldn't handle it. And I'm like, if it works, it works. He didn't talk about what he did. He didn't justify what he did. It was just, I'm going here to do this because I need some peace and quiet. And so now you're building hobbies. You're building a life outside. You're making friends. You're working out. You're uh, working on your frame. You're building up healthy levels of narcissism, building a uh, masculine's point of origin, as Rolo calls it. And then you're on the next step. And that's where you begin conditioning your availability to your wife with her treatment of you. This is essentially looking at life as a value-added proposition. If... Ooh, 
Yeah, Alpha K, as Zim was saying here, he owes his intro to Alpha K. Alpha K is definitely is definitely like a nice to be to him and Robert or Dr. Uh Dr. Robert Glover. I would say those two guys are the entry point for most people. Which is weird. You think it would be Rolo, but not so much. Um so you start to condition your availability to it's about value add. And this is just the better your frame is, the faster this stage goes. If you're with somebody and she doesn't want to have sex with you. She's probably nagging, ornery, um, doesn't cook. Like all these different things. You're like, why am I wasting my time here on this person who's not adding anything to my life at the moment? And then you realize like, I don't have to. And that's when you, since you've built up this cadre of options, going out to read. I used to love going down the Starbucks. I was working on like a second degree. Um, there's the gym, there's martial arts clubs. There's maybe some new friends you had. All that stuff. So you realize if this isn't working for you, you just get up and leave. And then what it does is it, now we say it's about conditioning, but it's more than that. It's just, it's you conditioning yourself. Yeah. And that's part of the frame thing. Again, that was why I didn't like some of the old verbiage because it was about conditioning your wife. The problem with that is that kind of blunt manipulative tool set is easily like you can see right through it and it always ends up being counterproductive. So you can't fake it. You have to believe it. Um, oh, I just got in the chat here. <laughs> yeah. Rolo is an absolute gem, but he has nothing close to entry level. Yeah. You know what? Everybody's got to start somewhere. No. Um, yeah, you start realizing you don't have to put up with things. And it's more than just your wife. You start realizing that comes with everything. Um, your boss treats you like absolute garbage, doesn't treat you very respectfully. You're getting underpaid for stuff that you could get job elsewhere. You just take the risk. You're like, you know what? Screw this job. I'm going to go get that one. Um, she decides to treat you horribly. You just leave and go do something better with your time. You start to value yourself. And that's that's where this, this is passive dread, by the way. I'll get to that in a second. You start to realize that you're worth a damn. Like you're the only guy who wipes your ass every day without complaint. And you start treating that guy with the respect he deserves. And then you realize, okay, so you treat your wife as dead. If she died tomorrow, what would you do? We'll do that. This solves everything. Chore play. Nags at you to clean the house. Well, you keep the house to the cleanliness standard that you want for yourself. If you have a stay-at-home mom who doesn't do anything, whatever. She's basically gone anyway. You got a roommate there. I want the house clean. I'm cleaning the house. I don't expect anything out of her. And it sends a very strong message. It says that you have standards. You're willing to meet your standards and you're the captain of your own ship. If other people want on board, they need to provide more value to you than just being present. Um, if we use cleaning for an example, if you're cleaning the place to your standard, somebody's with you, they never clean up eventually they realize like, yeah, if he wants me around, I need to start doing my part of cleaning or he might, he might go or, but that's the thing. It's more so about you. Most guys. And it's the funniest thing. It's, I would say most guys find out once they start treating their wife as dead, like just devoting her down to babysitter. I clean my own house. I do my own chores. I prepare my own meals. I basically take care of the kids. Like I'm doing everything. I'm treating this like I'm a single dad. They kind of look over at that wife that they were so desperate to win the affections of earlier. And they look at her sitting down there, gaining weight, doing nothing. They're like, why are you here? And it builds that certain level of disdain. What I say is when I say you got to hate her just a little bit, 
it's perfect because it slaps the wife goggles off their face. There's a, so many concepts here. Um, yeah, we'll take a quick segue before we get into level five because five is easy. The wife goggles are the description of guys being aspirational lovers. There is a reason that guys are told to date younger women. And that's because we are aspirational in the sense that when you're dating a girl, let's say she's 19 when you first started dating. In your mind, you lock that in place. She's always going to be that 19-year-old hot chick you met wherever, here, there, and everywhere. Uh, quick break. Renegade Show, thank you for the $5 super chat. I always tell people that people are going to treat you how you treat yourself. Amazing how few people take this to heart. I agree. Few people do take it to heart. They're so concerned about what other people think, they forget to set the standard that they expect from other people. And you can't believe that until you're the prize. And that's where a lot of these steps come into play. Um, back to wife goggles now. So we're aspirational lovers. You lock her in time. She could be a 45-year-old you know, mother of seven, but you're always going to see her as that 19-year-old girl. This is why for a lot of guys, once those goggles finally get slapped off, and that's usually if the girl cheats on you or uh, disrespects you to a certain point, or there's a, a measurable difference, like, for example, in this stage, level four of dread. Once they're slapped off, they don't come back on. You lose that aspirational image and you just see her for what she is. Now, people get older. If you've seen anybody from 10 years ago, 10 years later, they're never going to be quite as good. Because, I mean, it's an imagination thing anyway. You're kind of picturing her at her best and people aren't at their best, especially if they're in nagging dead bedrooms. They're showing the signs of age and stress. <laughs> But that's what and that's where you end up in dread level five. And you're like, all right, this one's easy. We're taking a bit of a break from a lot of the heavy and the mental stuff and the physical stuff. It's just updating your wardrobe. Another way reason this is good is because by now you've been lifting weights for two, three months. You're probably dropping a lot of weight. Most of your shitty clothes aren't going to fit you anymore. And so you need a new set. Um, I'm not going to talk about style now, but... I mean, just know what style is. Everybody knows what style is. You stop wearing t-shirts and cargo shorts, except for Drew. Apparently, Drew Bay gets the cargo short exception. <laughs> so this is the separation point from what we like to call passive dread and active dread. Because passive dread tends to be the stability point. If And most guys, when they get to this point, this is as far as they need to go. Um... Jack Ten of Hearts has a great concept called the three drunken captains, the three drunken captains of the uh, married red pill. And that's the three different archetypes of guys that come with marital problems. The first one is the drunk captain who has a uh, uh, begrudging first officer, first officer being the wife. And that's just, she just wants the guy to step up and lead. He does it. She'll gladly fall in line. Wonderful relationship. Super easy to fix. Fairly common. The second one. Ooh, can I remember this off the top of my head? Excuse me. Second one is the captain with the constantly complaining passenger. And this is problems where guys are always validation seeking. Like they need their wife to be on board and validate all their decisions, which she doesn't. She just bitches and complains constantly. With these ones, you kind of need to go like all the way up to dread level four, realize that she's not a value add. And you hate her just that little bit. So this nagging need for validation goes away. You have to just realize you're better than her. And but but actually believe that because you've achieved it through action. You can't just think it. It doesn't work that way. The third type is the the girl that always wanted to be captain. 
she wanted a floor mat and for a lot of guys they find once they go through dread like this and these are the ones that this next step tends to go for um they find that they do all this stuff they become attractive they become less codependent they're no longer validation seeking they've got a good mental point of origin the girl doesn't like that though she absolutely hates that because she liked a guy that she could kind of beat up on a lot of the daddy issue types are like this and so they tend to be the ones most commonly going into active dread but some women are stubborn and sometimes you've had so much BS in your life for so long that they just don't trust that these changes are real. And so you're, but I mean, like I said, you're not doing this because she doesn't believe you. You're doing this because you've already assumed this relationship's over and you're moving on. And that's where active dread comes in. Uh, before we get there, let's take a bit quick break and give a shout out to our sponsor. You guys, thank you for sitting there. <laughs> a quick chat through the jet, uh, quick chat through the chats though main dread is coronavirus i cannot believe how much people still panic i remember killer bees zika mars sars everything is the new black plague and the only difference now is that videos out of china are coming out and showing how the chinese have absolutely horrible hygiene in certain areas and absolutely horrible bureaucracy like any competent medical health system would have solved this thing before it got nearly as bad as it did. Ooh, um, I realized, I think I just missed one of your guys' super chats. How am I get in there? From John Watts. Where in the hell? Oh, there it is. John Watts with the $4.99 super chat. Hey, Ryan, are there any plans to get off of Patreon? I want to join up, but I don't want to support Jack Kant. Yeah, I, I mean, I could tomorrow. The problem is moving all that stuff over is kind of a pain in the ass. And I making these kind of changes is kind of difficult. I could just as easily set that up directly on my site where uh, you set it up as a subscription model. I may actually, you know what I might do? I might try that. So after, after we do the Vegas thing, what I'll try to do is set it up. So if you don't want to support Patreon, set up mirrored tiers on my own site so you can go directly through there. Then it doesn't do any Patreon stuff. Then the question is just how to get the content onto both platforms at once. Uh, let me think about the details and get back to you on that one. But that's not a bad idea. I would love it if I was in full control of the entire platform. I think that would be an awesome idea. Yeah, but I'll look into it. I know there's also, uh, what's the other platform? Uh, Subscribestar. At the same time, you know what? We'll do a quick digression here. Here's my thing with Patreon. I've been looking at the guys getting booted off of that and the Doxton and Red Pill and all this stuff. And I'm coming to the conclusion that guys really do it to themselves. Now, I'm not saying that cancel culture is, not, or is fair because it's not. I'm not saying that uh, free speech and you shouldn't get banned from a platform for this, that, and the other thing. I'm not saying that either. That's all shoulds. Sometimes you just have to realize that life isn't fair because, you know, we're grown adults and we're men. We don't got vaginas, so life doesn't cater to our, our illusions. And it's just that's the game you play. And for Patreon, it was very clear that... Uh, like when Sargon of Akkad got kicked off, that was pressure from MasterCard because MasterCard is really big on uh, the push for globalization. So any talk 
that goes against that, goes against their core values. And so they threatened to cut funding as their way to influence that. So yeah, it's kind of the price you have to pay and you have to realize then, okay, so you need to set up some alternatives there for that. Um, it's kind of outside my scope. So I'm not really concerned with that. For a lot of the doxing, it was always, and it's something I've noticed. And with DDJ's uh, doxing thing here, same as Robert Fisher, everybody, basically. Um, the issue with doxing, it's not so much families getting harassed and that stuff, because that's five minutes of pain and it goes away. I think the problem is, is it exposes people and they tend to be fairly embarrassed and they were bragging. <laughs> they were writing checks their body couldn't cash, literally. Robert Fisher's doxing came because of like, you know, politics struggle. But what if you look at what they did, all they did was they just wrote a piece about him, making him look unattractive. His goofy hobbies, the fact he's out of shape, gained a bunch of weight. That's all they talk about. Um, Roosh, when they doxed him out, it was the same thing. It was him in his pajamas at his mom's house. Cops at the door. They're like, that's the perfect visual. Uh, Tim Hunt, the guy who said girls are bad uh, scientists because they cry and they try to date the professor. His was a scalp. They like going after academia and the fact that he apologized for it validated their critiques of him, which caused public pressure to it. So I don't have the same worry about Patreon that other people do because it does seem like there is a game and there's a very clear set of ground rules and you can easily thrive within them. Like if Jordan Peterson can pull his 20 grand a month out of Patreon when he's the, <laughs> when he's Nazi Hitler Stalin commie, like anybody can. But, you know, I respect your right. If you don't want to support that platform, that's fine. Like I said, I'll try to see if I can I can work out a system to accommodate that. So, as I always say, bear with me. <laughs> um, all right. One more thing on the chat here, and then we'll move on. Damn coffee is starting to affect your memory, you son of a bitch. Um... Ran out of pheromones. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And then Julius is saying, just put out a PayPal plus credit cards and guys will pay directly. I've already got that. My uh, my site, ryanstone.com, it's got the shopping cart set up. It was actually super awesome because I set that up very early, even before I had anything to sell. And it costs a little bit for upkeep, but not much. But once the, uh, the Vegas event came up, it was so easy. I just made up a SKU for it, set it up. Now I've got like a nice structured list of everybody who's going. I've got email addresses so I can send guys updates to stuff. It's perfect. Um, I remember too, one of the guys asked way early on, uh, what was the question? I think it was you, Julius. Let's see if I can find it again. And then I'll go back to Active Dread because that's the fun stuff. That's the stuff that makes you the bad guy. Confident, great question. Uh, there it is. The John Collins one, a good book on narcissism. So <laughs> obviously the good book is the DSV, uh, DSV is up to edition five, but there's nothing stopping you from getting older editions and saving yourself a ton of money on that because we're not, you don't need to understand narcissism, narcissism from a clinical perspective. You just need to understand it from an applicability perspective. So you don't need to have 10 out of 10 knowledge on it. So the DSV is a good source on that. There's a lot of online materials on that, as well as the uh, NHIS or like the British uh, Medical. They have a lot of research papers on it as well. Um, the lastpsychiatrist.com. Is it lastpsychiatrist? Last psychologist. 
He does a lot of discussions on narcissism, and I like the angles he puts it on. There's a great post where he talks about how the uh, um, the diagnosis for narcissism is very clumsy, and it's actually not supposed to be used as a diagnostic tool, even though it is. I think his, he used a metaphor of how would you describe a person? Well, a person has the qualities of eyeism, footism, and handism. But like, oh, but a dinosaur has eyeism. Okay, well, a lack of dinosaur qualities. And that's kind of how they describe it. So it doesn't really describe the condition at all. It just describes the secondary traits that somebody would have with it, which is that self of grandio or grandiose sense of self, etc. So I like his takes on it. Um, another good one is... Actually, what would be a good recommendation for it? I think those are the two best ones, to be honest. There's not a lot written on it. Um, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, we're going to get back to Dread, along with uh, Drew's absolutely on-point comment right now. I <laughs> uh, don't mind the dogs, guys. So Dread level six. This is when it gets to active Dread, and... This is the part, if anybody is going to have a problem with Dread, it's going to be here, because this was the gist of the problem, is that uh, when Dr. Smith was talking, he was saying, I don't like it, it's manipulative, it uh, treats women poorly, I would never do that to my wife. Which is true, because he's got, you know, a healthy, I'm assuming he has a healthy conjugal relationship, but um, I don't want to ask, because I don't want to know. Uh, but if you're not, you can't be afraid of manipulation. Girls manipulate all the time. They cry when they get their way. They get angry when they don't get their way, hoping you'll back down. Girls get violent knowing that you can't get violent back without other people in the group attacking you. Everybody knows these tools and tricks. So there's already manipulation being done. The question is just, why aren't you doing it as well? Then there's also the, uh, well, if you're doing this just for you and it happens to manipulate, that's fine. But if you're doing it on purpose, that's wrong, which I don't like that. If you take that line of reasoning, nothing is worthwhile unless you're just doing it haphazardly or by accident. And I don't think anybody could argue that a good life is one that's just done accidentally and going off of instinct. Um, there's not a single sphere of influence ever where just doing things just because without any thought behind them does well. And I don't see why sexual dynamics needs to somehow be exempt from that. I guess that's the issue too, though, is that once you start looking at this in a more pragmatic way, you start to realize how pragmatic women are looking at it, and it kind of removes that women are wonderful effect, which is kind of where I was going to go with this, but we'll stick with dread for now. But uh, step six is learning about pickup. Study PUA. And then don't do anything stupid. So when you first start learning it, just try it on the wife. Learn, learn to cuber, run through a mystery routine, maybe just, and this is mostly going to look like opener stuff. So if you're going to see old man conversation openers, you're going to see opinion openers, very basic stuff. Like if you're talking the mystery method, you're not even getting to anything past like Kino. What's up, little guy? Chomsky says hi. So you're just getting into basic stuff and you're practicing on the wife. Now, it's got a, it's got a connotation to it because you're saying it's pickup, but for the most part, the stuff that you're running through right now is just holding a conversation, being charming, holding the center of attention, learning a push and pull, very basic stuff. Sometimes this very little bit of game will work on the wife and people will be happy with it like that. You just realized you just had to be more attractive. But 
and this is something I love. Uh, why do you do it on your wife first? Why not do it on somebody else? I'm like, well, for a simple reason. This is the person that's seen you at your worst. She's seen all the BS that you've had for your entire marriage. So she's not going to fall for any nonsense. It kind of sharpens your game. And either it works or it doesn't work, whatever. But if you can get it to work on her, you can get it to work on anybody. And that's where step seven comes in. Still disrespectful, still sexually distant. You start to practice it and approach other women, hold attractive conversations. This is, uh, and since you've already been working on building a life outside of this relationship, you learned, okay, so I'm already at MMA class. I'm already at the coffee shop. I'm already going about to start approaching people. And then you start approaching, making conversations. You're getting a, a sober second opinion. And then you understand, oh, well, that's cool. Turns out it's really easy to flirt with girls. It's Oh, it's really easy to have a conversation. Oh, wow. This girl actually wanted to give me your Snapchat because nobody gives phone numbers anymore because that's what Gen Xers do. <laughs> Whatever. But that's the thing. And then you start realizing, okay, so why am I? And if you haven't realized it before, you realize it now. Like, why am I putting up with this? Like, it's very easy if somebody doesn't have this. Uh... <laughs> hey, Zenith, thanks for the $5 super chat. He finally caught one of these live. Dude, every Friday at nine, I know it's good. Now that you're getting up nice and early, you get to have some gym time too. And I hope you enjoy yourself, man. Trust me, I'll make sure it's worth your while. Thank you very much for the $5 super chat. It's too bad you can't give people likes in this stuff. <laughs> but yeah, you realize, oh, okay, I've been lifting. I have good hobbies. I'm good at holding a conversation. I'm very flirtatious. I'm very charismatic. And girls that don't have this faulty model of the way I am respond very well to it. I'm an attractive man. And it's internalized now because you can't think you're attractive. Thinking doesn't change actions. Actions change thought. So by being attractive, by getting good responses from people, you know, the guys like you, girls want to like you, like that whole thing there, you're realizing, oh, well, I actually, and you start internalizing all these values through that. So this is where dread level eight comes in. Once you've internalized the fact that you are the prize, you have options, you are attractive, you're not unattractive, you've put in the work. Uh, at some point, and this, I'm going to have to be very clear on this one. People get this one wrong all the time, and it always goes back to frame. At some point, your wife is going to see a girl walking up to you and flirting with you in front of her. She picks up that there's a wedge there, and she's trying to tap into it. The idea is, if your wife doesn't want you, and she doesn't want to do what it takes to keep you, there's other girls that are more than happy to take her spot. And this is pre-selection. It's the most attractive thing that you could possibly do. And, well, not that you can do, but that could happen to you. A lot of guys take this to mean, oh, you just hit on the waitress when you're at the when you're at the uh, restaurant or something. It's like, no, that's those are displays of lower value. If you're hitting on somebody in front of your wife, it shows a social... It's socially awkward... It's a display of lower value, and it gives her the justification to like, oh, he's a dick, and then completely walk away. It basically makes you the bad guy in a situation and shows you really haven't internalized any pickup stuff. You don't understand social cues. You're not very savvy, and you got to go back to the drawing board. But uh, you're just being your charismatic self, and you're talking with people holding a conversation. She's starting to bite her lip and you know twirl her hair and stuff in front of the wife, and you're act completely oblivious to it. In fact, you may just be oblivious to it. Like, wow, she was really trying to pick me up. I didn't know. I was just, just practicing some Roosh old man game. <laughs> and 
usually about that point, even the most ornery, stern, frigid wife kind of realizes through that pre-selection and like Olympic level, like this sort of mammalian brain, this is instinct that it actually becomes more attractive. It's like that Simpsons episode. I don't know if you guys have seen it where uh, Lisa was talking to Bart about why he liked this girl that didn't like him. She goes, well, you notice how Maddie, Maggie has this ball here and she doesn't play with it. And she picks up the ball, takes it out of the crib. And then Maggie starts trying to chase it. And she goes, see, but now that she can't have it, she wants it. And then Bart's like, oh, gimme, gimme. But it's, it's basically that. Girls have this, uh, they treat jealousy different than guys do. In general, they kind of treat it more as a competition as opposed to a uh, unattractive thing. It's the same way that, yeah, I don't really want to think of a corollary on that one, but that's essentially it. So you're using pre-selection. Uh, cheers to Gus for the two pound super chat. Gus, I wish you had something to say, man, but that's fine. I'll take, I'll take your money. Cheers to him, though. Welcome. I don't recognize the username, so I don't know if you've been a long-time listener, first-time caller, but thank you very much, and it's good to hear from you. I'll leave you up for a while, at the very least. Then Renegade Show, again, thanks for the $2 one. Any books you would recommend for pickup? End of the day, it doesn't really matter. Uh, for pickup, it's more of a placebo. So, for example, The Mystery Method. That's the one I did growing up or growing up in my adult lives in my twenties and early thirties. And, uh, I liked it because it was simple. Three phases, uh, a B and S for seduction. It kept it simple. Um, Roosh's day bang. I've read through it. I like that one too. It's great for the day. Troy Francis. He has some good books. I haven't applied them myself. Cause obviously I've been just, I've only just learned about them last year, but a good set of work. And from the people giving testimonials, I've heard very good things out of his collection. Actually, I'll, I think I even have his, uh, hold on a sec. Let me see if I can pull it up. The one thing I like about his renegade dating blueprint is I don't know why he does it, but he undercharges like you wouldn't believe here. I'll throw the link in the chat. It's like 35 bucks for 10 whole books. So it's like, what are you doing, man? Like, <laughs> but whatever he wants to give them away. That's on him. Um, but it's, it's kind of a placebo. The purpose of pickup, and this is one that I've come to the conclusion with after years of doing it, and then once you get good at it, you don't really have to do it anymore, is it just gives a structure and it gives you confidence in outcomes. All the things just systemize dating, and there's not like a magic formula to this, but if you walking up to a girl, okay, what do I say? And you're confused, you don't know what to do, or I'm really good at making friends with girls, but I don't know how to escalate with them and become sexual, and then I don't know how to take a girl back to my place and I always blow it. It just gives little things there. It's like, okay, we'll follow this structure for an opener. Uh, because most girls hate when their time is being wasted. Use an opinion opener. I have to get back to my friends pretty soon. And this is like a very classic one. I wouldn't use this now. You kind of have to adapt it, but understand the theory. I have to get back to my friends really soon. But before I go, can you guys help me solve an argument? It's like that little bit of tension there. There's an argument. Oh, girls love that kind of tension. Um, you make something sexually charged like... Uh, he thinks it doesn't count as cheating if you're in a different province. I think it is. What do you guys think? Get like a little discussion and an argument going, and then you leave. All right. Oh, thanks. Great. Then when you reapproach later on, you no longer have to get through that initial resistance thinking, why is this guy trying to waste our time? Because you're no longer a stranger. Oh, hey, that was that guy we met from earlier tonight. And now you have a rapport built automatically based on scarcity, which is awesome. But here's the thing. Once you learn this skill, 
you're going to naturally have your own ways of opening a conversation, bringing it up. Cause you're going to understand that, you know, it's just a quick thing. You're just learning how to mingle. And then you learn how to mingle. You learn how to make yourself scarce. You learn how to go talk to other people and then come back to this one. You learn how to breed familiarity. And then once you understand a system, you no longer need it. So in the sense, I call them placebos because they're basically there to give you a bare bones structure and a roadmap. And then once you understand it, it's like riding a bike. You don't think left pedal, right pedal, left pedal after you're good at it. You just point the bike in a direction it goes. It's the same thing here. So I hope that gives you a good enough answer of a question. Did he really? Ha! I'll have to check that out myself. Let's see what Troy's done now. Oh, look at that. I feel bad, man. Ah, oh, for the last year, I've been telling you guys to get it while the getting is good. He finally wisened up. <laughs> All right. Well, going full price now. You snooze, you lose. Sucks to hear, but we'll see. Like I said, good set, good series. Well worth it. Let's get back to Dread. Where are we at? Dread level eight. She sees other people find you attractive, and she's got it like, if I don't hold on to him, I'm going to lose him. A lot of girls with that pre-selection instinct will automatically kind of fall back in a line because nothing is better than being the prize. Girls love having the best option. Everybody talks about a hypergamy being a straight jacket. Well, in this case, you're making it work for you. And that's the point. All five of these girls want them, but I got them to myself. She's, what do they call it? 100% uh, that bitch. <laughs> but sometimes it doesn't work. And that's where you get to dread level nine and it's the linchpin. And this is where you start getting to direct conversation. Um, I do think this needs uh, some updating because it's using direct communication. It's essentially the way a main event has a girl using overt communication with you out of pure frustration. It has you doing the same back, but the difference is you're starting to prepare. Um, I kind of mix nine and 10 together, but for the sake of completeness, we'll talk about them as they're done. And then I'll restructure nine, 10, 11, and 12 for you into a single step. It's not quite as bad as F me or F you like either, either you step in line or I'm gone, but it's at the end of a long process using direct communication. Like you realize this is like an unhealthy marriage, right? You realize good marriages need to have sex. You realize that I'm a human being and that without this, I'm, I don't like that approach because girls know how to keep a man happy. They're not stupid. They know exactly what they're doing. They know exactly what they're not doing. So if you have to talk about it, the answer is probably no. But then the idea here is you're letting her know that like you're aware of the situation. Uh, Dread level 10 is the next one. And I'm going to preface this. By the time you're having this conversation, it's the my way or the highway, F me or F you speech. You've already done the preparation. You've talked with the lawyer. You've understood what you need for a divorce. And there's a ton of strategies in here. I could spend a whole episode just talking about this stuff. But by the time you're having this direct conversation of either get on or get off, you've already prepared everything on your end. And you're fully expecting this to be a formality before you get her signature on the divorce papers. And it's completely finalized. You don't. And here's the thing. You don't say you're going to do this and then get started because you're giving the girl time to prepare. Bad idea because for the most part, the legal system is very good towards the standard female life script right now. So if you're giving a girl 
a six month heads up on a divorce process. She has six months to weaponize so many things against you. If you want to do this, you do it smart. You make sure you're prepared. Whatever you need to do with your lawyer uh, to establish the child custody that you want, the financial arrangement that you want, draft all this stuff up, the divorce stuff's in place. The idea is you have it in a little folder in a drawer somewhere and you have this F me or F you speech. She's obviously going to call the bluff on it, hand her the paperwork, walk out of the house, take two days to yourself, live in the cabin in the woods. Now, the optional ones, 11 and 12, I've seen them work. Personally, I don't like them, but I can see the compartmentalized situations where they do work. Um, 11 is to just get a side piece or a mistress and just start. If the wife doesn't want to sleep with you, fine. She gets first crack at your libido. She doesn't get sole custody. You go find somebody else. And then 12, like I said, I don't know why 12 is here. It's just open, openly doing it, essentially rubbing her nose in it. I've never heard of anybody doing this. I've never seen anybody doing this. I don't understand why it's there other than to make it a full 12 steps. The only reason that we haven't just gotten rid of it is because nobody ever makes it this far. <laughs> so it's just kind of stayed in there as like a, as like a vestige, like how we have human tails still. Um, and a quick thing of the chat here, take a break for you guys. And then we're going to go back and I'm going to explain how 9, 10 and 11 and 12 really need to be compacted into a single step and how it could be a much more refined process based on the experience of other men. <laughs> Showed up late. Rob's at number eight. Dang. Jack, it's good to see you again. I'll catch you later. Thanks for sticking around as lot. Uh, let's see. We'll do some quick chits in the chat. Hope you get better soon. Oh, Jack, you got coronavirus. That sucks. A lot of you guys showing up late, which perfectly fine. Just smash the like button. Catch up on the old stuff when you get a chance. I'm pretty good at not having a lot of empty filler, like an RSD thing on this one. So... I guarantee you, you're going to be able to, this is essentially going to be like a 101 dread level lecture for you guys. I'm eventually going to do this in front of a chalkboard, <laughs> a chalkboard wearing gingham plaid shirts. Um, ooh, somebody here's talking about old school, ancient pickup, pickup book, the art of love by Ovid. Lots of good information on how to seduce another man's wife. Russell, you're killing me, man. I am curious. I've never heard of this before, so. Oh, I can't copy text here. So I'll just have to remember Ovid. I'm sure there's not many Ovids that write. Um, Zenith has a great concept here where her belief that you're her best option is what matters. And I think this is this is what a lot of people kind of miss out when they talk about hypergamy, especially the, the MGTOW type guys, or as I call them, the losers in the, <laughs> in the Gervais principle. People look at hypergamy and what do they show you? They show you that very standard chart. I'll pull it up now so you can see what I'm talking about. Everybody's been using this one for years. Oh, it's right there too. No, no, no. Get back on there. <laughs> incel wiki. Oh my God. They have an incel wiki. That's hilarious. <laughs> I didn't think you needed a Wikipedia for, for not sleeping with people. That's awesome. All right, we're going to use it because it's got the right picture. And actually, it's a perfect example because this is what unattractive guys go with here. <laughs> I hope this doesn't get me removed. <laughs> Here's a roadmap on not getting laid. <laughs> oh, thank you. I didn't know how to do it. I've been stumbling through it all this time. <laughs> 
So this is what guys think of when they think of hypergamy. And that's women shoot for the top 20% of men. The bottom 80% of men shoot for the bottom 20% of women. It's a very like thing here. But here's the thing. Everybody treats this as if there's a single sexual hierarchy. 7 billion girls on one side, seven or 3 billion girls on one side, 3 billion guys on the other side, and those top billion at the top there are getting all of them. It's not how it works. Humans are a, uh, a matrix society. This is, and I'm going to go all Jordan Peterson on you here. This is a specific hierarchy. That is, if you're at the bar, that's how the bar is arranged. 100 guys at the bar, those top 20 guys are the ones getting any. But at the office the next day, there's some guys sleeping around on coworkers. There's a top 20% there. There's even whatever group there is, there is a top 20% of it. Even MGTOWs have groupies. Guys who shun off women and go their own way have girls that groupie them. There's vol cells, or I think they call them, like female incels. So even that hierarchy has women. There is hot chicks that are in gamers, like gamer communities, esports. Remember that guy that dated that supermodel? Every one of these hierarchies has a top 20%. And here's the part where I hate that doom and gloom guy because he forgets that if he's not the top of any of his hierarchies, well, either he needs to work being better at those hierarchies or he needs new hierarchies. And if he doesn't have new hierarchies, you can make your own. Dude, this married red pill wasn't a hierarchy until guys created it. And it's at the point now where even, and here's a little secret. A lot of guys will tell you that just about anybody who's uh, got name recognition within the married red pill has had girls flirting with him and sliding into his DMs at one point. It's just one of those things, and you just kind of laugh it off. But a couple of guys, like, you didn't even know what they looked like. Bogey D6, the guy I was talking about before, he actually had, like, a girl that was so enamored because he had a uh, uh, post about spanking your wife and that. And she was flirting with him, sending him nudes and stuff, and he was showing it to us. It was hilarious. So... Hypergamy isn't a straight jacket. It just shows you that, okay, I need to find a niche. I need to be the best at this niche and the most attractive in this niche. You take with that the boilerplate, what makes people attractive. Everybody's able to get their own, carve their own level of success. You may not be able to get 10 out of 10 supermodels, but out of whatever hierarchy you're in, you got the pick of the litter, essentially. Those top 80% of women. This is why social circle game works so well. If you've ever seen those groups of friends where like every guy, like I've slept with pretty much every girl in my friends group. Social circle game is the best type of game. Has the highest success rate, the most repeat customers, pre-selection is already built into it. It's perfect. Yeah, the Twitch streams use you to gain fame that take you to the cleaners. Dude, yeah, Twitch girls, they capitalize on this too. They kind of make promises that you are that top 20% in that particular niche and they milk you for it. So if you don't, if you understand hypergamy, you're not angry about it. In fact, you're happy about it. Uh, hey, Nick August in the chat, new reality show, 10 female incels and 10 male incels locked in a cabin in the Catskills for a week. And they got that on uh, Netflix right now, I think, except for, <laughs> it was so weird. I can't remember what the show is called, but uh, there's 10 like strong independent women in their late thirties <laughs> and 10 socially awkward guys in their mid-20s and they just put them in a room together and try and marry them off it's absolutely hilarious one chick gets absolutely just smashed trying to fall drop onto a guy another one talks about mommy issues my girl's all on it right now i can't stand it but whatever <laughs> but yeah and it's just as uh one ugly man says use it to your own advantage and that's the thing 
if it wasn't good from a evolutionary perspective, we wouldn't have adopted it. And the ones who did would have died off and we would have selected for it over the eons. It's a good thing. Hypergamy is what keeps men doing more, taps into their competitive instinct to be the best. And it taps into female instinct to only sleep with the best. So it's like perfect incentives there. You get there, attract a woman. A woman does her best for those type of guys. Everybody acts their best when hypergamy is working as intended. So back to the topic at hand. I, know. I still laugh at incel wiki. Dude, that's hilarious. Bless their heart. <laughs> that's like having an illiterate wiki. Oh, wiki for people who can't read. Well done. <laughs> Clearly a picture book. Uh, um, actually, before I go, a quick thing on Zim's here. She won't come falling for you out of thin air. It has to be searched for. Use your eyes. Yeah, girls don't fall out of the sky. There is no she either. It's just more available. And the more girls that like you, the more girls like it's like a. It's like how rich people don't have to buy things anymore because people want to use them for marketing and so they give it to them. It's the same thing, but sexually. So back to a more refined dread theory after we deal with Sam Whiskey's $5 super chat. Thank you very much. Sexless marriage is not marriage. It's living with your sister. Exactly. It's, it's a roommate scenario. And if you have a stay at home mom as a roommate, well, you have a deadbeat roommate. I would argue at least with uh, your corporate wife, if she's paying half the rent, side pieces, whatever, but whatever delving into a topic I don't want to go down, but you're right. Yeah. You don't want to be living with your sister. Oh, that's a quote from Ovid's book. Well, that's good to know. Hmm. So a unified method, once you get to nine, 10, 11, and 12, I talked about this in my very, my coming out of the closet red pilled speech in 2017. I said, most guys don't know what they want. So when you tell them they need to have their own mental point of origin, they don't know what that means. And I say, you'll make yourself a deal. Here's what you do if you don't have a goal, if you don't have a mission. Your mission is to take the next 12 months to build yourself into as high a value an option as possible, to give yourself as much abundance as possible, and put off that decision for 12 months. At that 12-month point, you're letting him decide to take all those gifts that you've given him and what he needs to do with them. And that is the culmination of dread. And that's where 9, 10, 11, and 12 come in. I find it kind of forks into very common scenarios. So dread level nine and 10, the F me or F you doing the divorce paperwork. For the most part, it's just leaving a dead bedroom and you've easily got a replacement. Uh, there's one of the guys in my Patreon right now. He's down in Mexico. Awesome dude. His wife started pulling this nonsense. He went through dread. He eventually decided like, you know what? I can get better younger than you. I don't need this anymore. Um, so he did some legal fights for the time to see his daughter. Uh, we worked on him on that front. Seems to be going well. Picked up a bunch of plates. He realized that life just got better for him, leaving the valueless person in his life and gaining other people who are valuable. Now he's having, you know, dating problems. Plate theory is always problems for everybody. Nothing's ever perfect, but it's a damn sight better than what he was. So I love hearing from him. I love seeing his field reports. I love seeing him thrive. It's damned awesome. I'm going to do a shameless plug to the Patreon community again, and eventually the non-Patreon community. Patreon.com slash join slash underscore Ryan underscore stone, because screw it, why not? Shameless plug. 
I don't have any shame in it. It's a good, it, honestly, it's a good product. It's selected for guys that have a higher than average level of interest, more determination, and they put in work. So it's not so much because I'm awesome, but it's because it's selected for guys in there that are awesome. Um, and then once you're into, if you do it now before the end of the month. So here's the thing. I, I, I am confident that people will get what they need out of this. So I'm like, you want know to join whenever you join payments, come out in the first of the month. If you join on the second and you want to take 28 days to see if it's worthwhile, fill your boots. Don't even care. There's been a few guys that even kind of leave at the end of the month and join at the beginning of the month. If you want to leech like that, that's on you. I'm not going to go through the effort of fighting you on this one, but I'll probably shame you if I catch you. <laughs> but here's the thing. Once you're, once you're in as a paid member, we're going to throw you in the locker room where we're, it's like a private space where we can talk about swapping notes like this stuff too, where you can have a conversation without worrying about hurting people's feelings. Uh, what's this one here? Are you a programmer? All those underscores. And it was because there was a bunch of Ryan stones already. There was a guy in Colorado who got arrested. So I just put underscores on them. I haven't programmed much since like high school when I was in turbo Pascal and that, but, uh, and then web development. I did a lot of cold fusion, which isn't even programming. Unified dread. So the first part is divorce, leaving, separating, realizing, and there's a whole bunch of strategies involved with that. There's the better beta divorce guide. There's the, uh, there's general game. All this stuff is there and it's compartmentalized in that. There is no F me or F you speech. It's literally just going off, doing your own thing. You've essentially checked out of the marriage, had her the paperwork, and I find it's the same as when you're dealing with criminals, simple, direct communication and giving them a very easy escape is the best way about that. If you're saying I want a divorce, then you get into shouting matches. It becomes very muddled, convoluted, legal troubles, this sort of thing. If you say, look, we're going to separate and we can either make this difficult or we can make this easy. And then the easy thing, you know, here's a very fair settlement. Here's the separation. All you have to do is sign this stuff. Go see your lawyer, review it, do your thing. Get back to me in three days. You're essentially saying you can either do this with discomfort or with comfort. And the more comfort you provide, beta game for a divorce, the more comfort you provide, the more likely it is that things will go smooth and you'll end up with an amicable divorce. Yeah. I normally don't, but I gotta, I gotta agree with uh, uncle here. <laughs> Now that step, that's the one direction of it. Step nine, we'll say nine A. Nine B, I'm going to call this the ultimate CAD strategy. If you don't know, I talk about him all the time. He was in for a year or two longer than me. He got to the point where he was running through dread in his way. His wife, uh, but it was after his wife's infidelity. She cheated on him. He didn't know for sure, but she went on a date. He knew she went on a date with somebody she used to date. And then when he asked about it, she denied the whole thing. So at that point, he heard enough. He got into shape. He got hot. And he kind of checked out completely. So he also noticed that he didn't want to leave his kids with the way his job is going and her thing. So he put her into a position. He was like, yeah, you need to get a job again. He got her working, earning her own income, which is a very strong step, by the way, if you're going to separate. His kids, I believe, are 16 or so. So it was like, you know what? The kids only have two, three years until they're out of the house on their own life. So why would I do a divorce now when I can just wait it out for the next three years? And then he just went and he got himself side pieces. I think he screwed everything in his neighborhood, which here's the thing. You can call that immoral and you wouldn't be wrong. But 
from a legal perspective, the courts don't seem to care anymore. If you want to separate or divorce because of infidelity, it's no different than doing it because you're just not happy. So like, it's not illegal. It is immoral. But at the same time, he's living his life. So he went that direction. He still, you know, slept with his wife, made sure she had everything taken care of for her, But he's like, you know what? I just don't like you. And I'm going to go get my needs met elsewhere. And that's what he did. That's the other direction you can take. The third direction is just opening up the relationship. And like I said, I've seen guys do this early in a relationship, but I've never seen people do this at the end of dread where uh, they essentially just open up the marriage or bring other people in there. I mean, it could happen. I would leave it out just for the sake that there's not enough information and not enough data. But I mean, theoretically it could work, but you know me, I hate mental masturbation. So I leave that one. Hey, back to go. Sorry about that, guys. We had a huge crash. <laughs> Was that Rolo in the chat saying I should check my email? Look at you guys. Oh, that's awesome. You stuck around. ADHD, I expected everybody to quit right now. Um, back to the topic at hand. Yeah, so I would leave it out because it's kind of like mentally masturbation. Guys can try it if they want to and see if it works. I wouldn't recommend it. I'm I'm of the mindset that you should really just go your own way. I have even plates, like I never really had more than like two at a time. I just didn't have the patience for more than like two girls. So <laughs> it's not my thing. Um, so that's it for dread. I think I'm going to leave it on that one. We're going to do until the half hour and then I'm going to leave because I'm on a little bit of prep. Rule zero is going to be on this channel, 1130. We're going to start off with, I believe, me and Rolo. And we're going to do a little heart to heart at the start of it. And then uh, Rich, Troy and John are going to join later on. It's going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> Jeez, Coach Blank. So I'm going to go a quick thing in the chat here. See what you guys have been up to while I've been sitting here filling your mind with knowledge. He was a great guy. I loved him. Let it go, right? 
The Matrix has them. You guys are adorable. Uh, Rolo pops in and the stream dies. Was that actually Rolo? I didn't recognize the icon. It just had like the standard YouTube one. Oh, he is there. Check your email. Sent you the RZ overlay. Ooh, that's good. Hey, look at this. Professional, professional production qualities coming in. I actually start using the overlays. He's been, Rolo's been busting my balls so long that I don't use them. I just kind of keep the thing blank because I'm kind of a minimalist that way, but oh, there we go. Come on, give me the overlays. Ooh, very fancy. Uh, we're going to add it to the stream here and we'll see what happens. Where's the second one? There's one. Oh no, there's the overlay. We're going to add it in here. Let's test it out now and see what happens. If you guys haven't seen this stuff, StreamYard is a great platform, by the way. They do a lot of stuff. Um, what do we got here? Banners, brands, overlay. So you do what's called an overlay here. You set up a, oops, that's the standard one. It puts like little tickers and goofy shit on the walls, whatever. I don't mind it, but at the very least, I should start doing some branded stuff. What did I just save that stupid file as? Rule zero overlay. Rule zero overlay. Did I even do it? Oh, I did. Check out Boomer working. There it is. Let's upload it now. Let's see what we look like when we're fully on 100% professional here. Ooh, it's clean. It's nice. Super nice. Such a small little detail, but I really do like it. I got to admit too, so I haven't done graphic design since I was like a kid uh, or in college, but um, I like the font choice, but I my personal taste, I'm a huge fan of classic stuff. Rolo gives me so much crap because I like a font called Adobe Garamond, which is like the, the, it's like Helvetica for serif fonts. And I would love simple stuff like that or Caslon because um, the guy in here earlier who was talking about that very old book about sleeping with other dudes' wives, all the old books were kind of done with this old font. And I love that, that the nostalgic look of it. So <laughs> on that note, we got eight minutes. I feel bad. Rule zero dad. He hasn't been in the chat yet. He's probably busy with his wife right now fooling around. But uh, what are we talking about now? George. Oh, Georgie. Is Georgie in the chat? If he is, hey, George, say hi if you're here. I know you're listening in. Um, So absolutely hilarious. I, I don't know if you guys have been following that stupid drama. I guess we'll spend a couple minutes on it because we got some minutes to kill and I've already gone through all the value. So let's do the, let's do the, let's do the nonsense. Um. How does this work? So there's this guy called Misandry Today or something, a DDJ. I think he did one episode of uh, Red Man Group, the old podcast with Rolo and them. I wasn't on with it. And I guess he has been such a such a dweeb and such a little weasel guy. It's kind of been like as bad as Anthony. A bunch of his friends doxed him. Turns out he's just like a fat supermarket clerk. Kind of annoying. Like I said, most doxing is about showing you in the most embarrassing light possible. And clearly like he didn't lift. He doesn't do anything. He was just like a goof. But I guess because that guy's worked so well with uh, Anthony Johnson and their lapdog Bruno that uh, they've just been trolling him constantly. And everybody keeps sending me screenshots and DMs of like, I guess Bruno's blaming like guys like me and Rich for this, which I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> I find Bruno to be a joke. I like him in the same way I like Pat Stedman. It's nice to have it's nice to have a whipping boy, like somebody to use as an example for unattractive people. So whatever. 
But yeah, it's not so much another drama. It's the same drama. And I really, I had a dream. I had a dream for this space and nobody seems to share that dream with the exception of like the, the rule zero group. I liked the idea of building it as a parallel institution for the ones that have been failing men. Dads aren't teaching their kids how to talk to girls anymore. Big brothers aren't around to do it. The school system's gotten rid of male teachers at an unprecedented degree. We're getting a little men's rights-ish here, but here's my point. Men have basically been removed from the growing up process of other men. And it's had a lot of detrimental effects. Guys just basically suck at being men now. Karen took the kids, weaponized dad against them. And so the, the, in general, the manosphere just... Okay, at first it was, okay, feminism. You want to take over? Go ahead, show us how to be a man. And they ruined it completely. You see how that went. So they had three generations to teach men how to be men, and they failed. So finally it took a bunch of pickup artist nerds in the 1990s to say, screw it, give me my feather boa, I'll do it myself. And I find that absolutely hilarious, that this entire billion-dollar industry designed to, like, fluff women to an extent not seen in human history and a bunch of nerds who just practice routines and bars have managed to usurp all of that. And I find that absolutely hilarious. And so I thought, well, that's great. So psychologically, I mean, psychologists don't really help with men. Marriage counselors don't help with men, the legal system, at least with the way that men were uh, classically conditioned to have a life script have not been helpful to men. So we're doing it ourselves. It turns out the law actually is neutral. So if you change your decisions, to fit within the law structure, you can actually do rather well. Having a working wife is kind of like a non-starter at this point. A stay-at-home mom is just saying, telling the law that you want to give her money if she gets bored with you. You can play the role of the dice with that if you want to. I don't know why you would. Most girls like to have something to do anyway. And so the fulfillment that comes from a job is not a bad thing. So that's that part there. So then when it comes to divorce, you have a better, and if you start, you know, be the guy that knows the blood type of your kids and his friends and their clothing types and all that stuff and actually like document spending time with them. If you want custody, you can have custody. If you don't, it'll default to the girls. Like everything has a strategy and a way to work around it. You can complain that things aren't the way you want them to be, or you could just thrive in the way that they are. So my goal was that, and it was almost, I don't want to say it would be on par with like being a lawyer or a doctor or a PhD or anything like that, but I liked having a certain amount of rigor and professionalism to it. And I thought it would be a great idea. We get everybody together, we build each other up. And it turns out there is a lot, a lot of guys here who just want to take your money by selling you snake oil. It's like the fat loss industry. Most people are trying to sell you Fen Fen. Very few people are trying to sell you on a gym membership. So I've kind of given up on that dream of having this professional space. And I've kind of just close it off to people who kind of agree. And that's why I like Rolo and Rich and even John. Like you can say John's kind of a goofball and goofing around, but he does take it seriously. He just takes that entertainment value and adds his own personal vibe to it. But the boy works and the boy's got a work ethic. So I like that idea. It completely flies against anything I've ever learned or been taught about uh, brand building and media savviness. I'm supposed to tap into outrage. I'm supposed to get banned from Twitter and milk that for views. I'm supposed to get on Fox News for doing this, that, and the other thing to stick it to the libs, all that stuff. This basically assumes that all of that doesn't exist. Now, it may fail and it may not, but that's really going to be up to you guys. But on that note, I'm going to leave it there. Uh, I got to have, 
I really do like that banner. I'm going to get it off of this because technically this is the wrong, uh, this is the wrong channel for that. So there we go. Um, I'm going to leave it with that. So in the, in the spirit of providing enough content to choke a donkey, to drown out the competition and to give you guys actionable advice, I'm releasing another video tomorrow. It's going to be a good one. I usually save my Sunday releases because people are kind of tired. It's their lounging around day. It's their relaxing day. I do the vlog style stuff there. And it's going to be a great video on investment. The Patreon guys have already seen it. So you can get their thoughts on it. <laughs> oh, Red UK, don't worry about it. You can get caught up. It's all good. Um, you can definitely tell from a filmmaker perspective. I was studying a lot of Fincher stuff in there and see if you could pick out the camera stuff. But it's really cool. On that note, I'm going to leave you guys to it. Any closing thoughts before we call it a day? Look at this. Oh, it's mostly, mostly you guys. You know what? Oh, I hate fluffing you guys, but you goddamn deserve it. <laughs> um, yeah, like you guys are really switched on audience. I'm really, I'm really happy and I'm glad to have you. It's been, there's a lot of guys in this space that love outrage and they love that, you know, screw that bitch. They love that stuff and I can't stand it. I don't find it to be healthy. It's cathartic and sometimes it's entertaining, but I just don't like that kind of audience. And I'm really glad you guys are a better group of people. So I'm going to do my best to keep making sure I keep you coming back and delivering good content. And like I say, if you keep watching, I'll keep creating. Uh, okay, we're going to end then. Ah, uh, what the hey? We're gonna end on Feezy's question about frame at work. All right, make it quick. I gotta go. What's your question on frame at work? Come on, man. This is dead air. You can't. That's like rule one of podcast is you can't have dead air. Type Feezy. All right, we're gonna save it for another time. Then don't sweat it. Uh, shout out to Don't Be Soy. Check out the site. Awesome. Pretty entertaining. Doing good things. But uh, thanks, you guys. I'll catch you on the next one. Cheers.